Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There is no time to wait, so let's begin. This episode is brought to you by Oracle for Startups. Hey all, Chris joining you. Welcome back to Startup Grind Global Podcast. And today, as always, we have a massive session. We've got Howie Liu, co-founder and CEO of Airtable, being interviewed by Alexa Von Tobel. And they're talking about building a billion-dollar software giant with the emphasis on substance over speed. Howie, of course, is the co-founder and CEO of Airtable, platform democratizing software creation. Love the product, the startup grind, and the companies I'm with. Um, and Alexa Von Tobel is the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital. Uh, she was also the former chief innovation officer for Northwestern Mutual and founded LearnVest, which was acquired by Northwestern Mutual in 2015. Credible interview. Hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Howie, thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for uh, coming. So Howie, we want, we want to dive right in. Um, you are just such an epic entrepreneur right now. 30 years old, uh, newest billion dollar business, which I know you don't like to say out loud, but I will say for you as a proud friend. Um, and I think what we would just want to kind of start to make sure everybody in the audience knows is what is Airtable uh, and what kinds of companies are using Airtable today? Sure. Um, so Airtable, interestingly, is a company that started with a vision first and then built a product and business around it. And the vision was always to democratize this really powerful medium that is software um, to the whole world out there who isn't able to tap into the economic value creation and ultimately creative expression potential of, of software, um, not just in terms of the, the apps they use, but actually be able to shape the apps um, that they want to use. Um, and, uh, you know, I think our product was, was built over three years, um, you know, launched, and, uh, and we've seen just almost every single type of company or individual use it um, for everything from wedding planning um, and cattle farming all the way to, you know, large companies like Netflix or Nike using it um, for major, uh, you know, kind of production or, or uh, you know, kind of organizational use cases. I was telling Howie, uh, I just launched a new venture fund, Inspired Capital. It's a $200 million fund, and we use it for our firm, and then I have have two friends wedding planning that are using Airtable for wedding planning. And then I have another friend who's standing up at another financial shop and they're using it. And what always strikes me is just the broad swath of different companies that are using Airtable, which is so great. Yeah. Um, so let's dive into how you got Airtable to where it is today. So. Um, what struck me when I met Howie is he's always been really long-term focused, but as a fellow entrepreneur, one thing I thought that you did that was really unique was you really focused on the product for the first few years and did nothing else, didn't fundraise, didn't get out there. Um, you've always been long-term focused, but talk about some of the decisions you made that you feel like really differentiate Airtable based on that long-term focus. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a big difference between um, you know, certain types of products that can be validated and, and sort of iterated on within a, a few weeks or 10 weeks, you know, if you have Y Combinator uh, you know, timelines um, ahead of you, or, or even months. But 
I think that there are certain types of companies that really need to be incubated for years because the, the minimum viable product that you want to bring out to the world and demonstrate the value you're trying to articulate really has to be built over that amount of time and with that amount of craft. And so, um, you know, we just had this strong conviction that software was, uh, you know, this, this thing that should be fungible and, uh, and tangible to, to all people. Um, and the most logical place to start with that was, you know, to create this, this product that kind of felt like a spreadsheet, had the power of a, a relational database model that would ultimately be usable by anyone non-technical um, as the, the foundation for that, uh, that company vision. So, um, you know, I think uh, it's, you know, it's definitely one of many different ways to, to build a company. And in our case, um, you know, along the way, we did have lots of customer conversations, um, talked to a lot of different advisors and stakeholders and mentors who ultimately, I think, gave us uh, useful feedback to help shape our, our journey along the way. Was there one or two moments of the kind of product evolution where a customer gave you a piece of feedback that really made a big difference? What was one of those that you really remember? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, you know, there was this uh, pivotal moment for us where after we had already launched publicly and, you know, we had gotten some traction that was building up um, and a lot of it was um, across, you know, already, you know, companies and people outside of Silicon Valley. So I think what was remarkable was that, um, you know, pretty early on we were not a, a, you know, really a tech tool made for um, other techies, um, but really something that was being broadly adopted. Um, and I think uh, initially we had kind of formed as our, um, you know, kind of mental model or, or exemplars um, you know, uh, you know, Dropbox and Evernote as sort of these similar companies who had started with consumer usage and then built out business models and, and uh, you know, kind of Teams products from there. Um, and, and we thought that we would kind of follow a similar path with like mostly consumer-centric usage initially and then eventually being able to build out a business or um, kind of team-centric product. But um, pretty early on, we just noticed all of these teams and, you know, kind of from all over the place, um, there was a, uh, a major uh, New York uh, magazine um, that, uh, that actually came into Airtable. Um, the editor-in-chief had set up, uh, you know, a use case um, to plan their content and, you know, got their whole team using it. Um, there were, you know, other companies out there that were coming in and virally growing faster than most of our consumer users were. And so um, we pretty quickly realized that, you know, this was actually a product that empowered, you know, teams and companies as much as it did consumers um, and that we didn't have to wait um, to really go after that, that latter opportunity. That's wonderful. Um, so let's shift gears. Let's talk a little bit about culture. So you have such a long-term view. Um, as you're thinking about building the unique culture of Airtable, what are the values that you care about? Um, how are you thinking about developing your own culture? Yeah. Um, you know, I think a big part of it is definitely being very, very long-term focused and, you know, very uh, complementary value to that um, that I think um, is something that, that has always been a little bit um, organic uh, for us is, you know, we, we hate using, um, you know, wartime metaphors. And I think in, in Silicon Valley, it's so easy to, uh, you know, relegate yourself to just being in a battle against your competitors. And, you know, um, and everything is about, you know, kind of who's going to win the race or, you know, who's going to crush who. And, and so generally, I think we, we've tried to espouse this, uh, you know, much more farmer-like mentality of, you know, we're really out there in this green field of opportunity, and it's profoundly large. And, you know, it's not about trying to nudge out the other farmers out of the race, but really just planting as many seeds and tending to our crops and really um, growing a thriving community of, of customers and um, and team members and so on um, that, that compound in value over time. So um, I think we've, you know, it, it kind of bleeds out to or, um, you know, kind of goes through to every part of our um, organization, but we really do, um, I think, think in terms of growing and, and creating from afresh um, versus, you know, just uh, trying to, to beat our, our enemies. Um. 
Um, so Howie came to visit me in New York, and I, I'm a fellow entrepreneur where I built a software company called LearnVest um, at 24 and sold it at 30 uh, in an in, in interesting and nice exit. And one of the things that really struck me about Howie from meeting so many entrepreneurs is rarely... Um, you know, we use crush and battle and war and how he was like, I just want the entire world to grow. And it was so refreshing um, how authentic it was. And it made me absolutely just think um, so highly of you and kind of your vision and to say, hey, I think that we can actually get farther um, by using that kind of farmer metaphor. So talk a little bit about what, what tangible things at the company in whether it's onboarding or what are you actually doing to make sure that everybody yeah. lives up to that value at Airtable? Because it's one thing to, you know, have... Uh, an amazing vision as the CEO. It's another thing to make sure everyone's actually, you know, using yeah. it and abiding by it. How are you doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, one thing that we really believe in is, you know, the importance of community and experience and, um, you know, not just for our customers, but also for our team. And so um, we actually just started doing um, this event series for uh, mostly our team members right now and, and some friends and family. Um, but, you know, instead of going and, and doing, uh, you know, kind of more prototypical uh, activities together, we'll go and find these, you know, kind of cultural really immersive events. So maybe going and uh, watching a ballet show um, together or, you know, um, going to a pottery workshop or, you know, a lot of these um, sort of activities that I think really, um, you know, exemplify the kind of cult of, of creativity and, and craft um, that are so antithetical to just, you know, kind of going out to war. That makes me want to go work yeah, at Airtable. No, that sounds um, fabulous. You're welcome to be a friend of, of, uh, of the events anytime. Um, so, you know, if I was sitting in the audience, um, you've just raised so much capital. I mean, really, it's amazing. You have um, on the other end of all of this, what any entrepreneur just prays and hopes could ever happen to their business. You are flush with cash, and you now have to think about the next 24 months. And I always tell entrepreneurs, when that money hits your bank, you have like 12 hours of like, and then the next morning you wake up and you're like, oh my God, we've got to go put it to work, and we have so much work. What does the next 24 months look like? What are the big milestones that you're really uh, kind of razor focused on for your team and for yourself? Yeah. Um, so we raised our, our round in kind of a somewhat unique situation, um, you know, in, insofar as we didn't really need the money. And so we were at a point um, with the business and still are um, where, you know, the, the natural growth of the business alone was enough to, to sustain, uh, you know, kind of a, a strong growth rate and even kind of, um, you know, pay for the additional costs of, of growing a team very uh, quickly. And so, you know, what we really wanted to do with the, the round was, you know, one, um, I think align uh, a lot of really great thought partners and, um, you know, new folks uh, who could help us along the way and give us um, invaluable advice and, and uh, you know, kind of connections um, to know how to build a great company. Because um, I think that, you know, kind of the immediate answer that I would give to what should we do over the next 24 four months to, to, you know, make this company uh, get to the next point um, is, you know, I don't know enough to give you the definitive answer. And so I should be spending my time learning. And, um, and so I think that's a big part of, of, uh, of our next, you know, certainly um, six months is, you know, going out there and um, thinking about what are the, um, you know, what are the things that we don't know, we don't know yet. And especially when it comes to building a great organization, um, not just a product and business. Um, certainly we have a long way to go on the former two. Uh, but I think, um, you know, ultimately in the next two years, what we have to do is have an incredible organization that has not just a lot of great individuals inside of it, but um, but really a team and, and people who can work together and collaboratively and with the right context to go and build the next generation of our platform and the next you know kind of uh, iteration of our business model. So let's dig into that. So how big is Airtable today in terms of employees? Yeah, so we're only 80 people. 
Uh, and how big do you think Airtable could be in 24 months? So, um, you know, I think the, the biggest constraint for us, because it's not really about the cost, um, is, is really just, you know, how quickly can we find um, people who are, you know, kind of great fits for what we're trying to do, yep. um, and ultimately equip them with the tools and context to, to be successful. And, you know, I think, honestly, we don't know um, what the upper bound for that is. I think we'd like to grow um, by somewhere between 2 and 3x uh, our current headcount year over year. And so, you know, on the extreme end, we might be in the the high hundreds of people um, yep. in, in a few years, um, you know, but also, you know, I think we, we want to make sure that we're emphasizing empowerment of every you know, kind of team member over, you know, kind of filling seats with, um, with bodies. So Airtable's hiring lots of people, um, which is wonderful. Um, and it sounds like mostly you'll be looking at product, technology, design, um, anything else specific like you, you need to think about. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, you know, a lot of companies uh, describe themselves as being product-driven or engineering-driven or sales-driven or marketing-driven. And, you know, I've always really believed that Airtable is a company where you really have to do well at all of those things. And all of those things require, you know, very first principles thinking. So, you know, obviously from an engineering standpoint, we're, we're doing a lot of things that are not just, you know, copy-paste from a different product or not just implementing features, but actually kind of architecting new design patterns and interaction patterns. And, you know, we're the most meta software product out there because we're the software to build software. Um, for everyone. Um, but also, I would say that, you know, on every other um, side of the business, marketing, sales, customer success, um, our product specialist team, which sits in between our customers and uh, our product teams, um, you know, I think there's so much kind of uh, innovation and playbook building and system building to be done that, um, that I think all of those roles are, you know, truly equally important um, in defining the long-term success of, of our company. It's wonderful. A startup influences the finding of influencers on social media. Hi, it's Mike Stiles, and this is Meet the Startups for the week of September 23rd, brought to you by Oracle for Startups. More than 3.8 billion people are on social media every day, including influencers. They've traditionally had a lot of power to help shape consumer opinions and purchases. The problem for brands is finding, measuring, and maximizing them. Brazilian startup Airfluencer steps into that space. Using artificial intelligence and its own unique methodology, its platform processes millions of social profiles daily, along with hundreds of search filters. The result? A metric that evaluates the quality of a profile's engagement. When Airfluencers wanted a strong technology and business partner, it migrated from Google Cloud to Oracle Cloud. This allowed them to scale, save money, and get more performance for their money. Airfluencers also landed Hope Lingerie, an Oracle customer, as a client, with other Oracle customers in the pipeline. Integrations are now underway with Oracle's marketing and customer loyalty solutions. Meet the Startups asked Airfluencer's founder, Rodrigo Soriano, how brands are approaching influencer marketing. Most marketeers track bus. As soon as they start tracking sales and traffic, money is going to flow to this market. We provide a solution from end to end where they can see traffic, bus, and sales. And we believe this is the future of this market. Computing power and valuable connections to prospects. Just two more reasons to check out Oracle's startup program at oracle.com slash startup. Um, so one of the other things when Howie and I met uh, a few months back uh, where I was just completely... Um, 
uh, impressed with just how long-term your vision is. You've actively said that you don't want Airtable to be acquired, and you've said it out of the gate. Um, talk everybody through in the audience. Um, one, I, you know, I think Airtable is in such an incredibly unique position poised, in my humble opinion, to potentially be the future Microsoft or fully replace um, many different types of collaboration tools from Google Docs to Slack and beyond. Um, why are you saying we're not interested in being acquired? What's really driving that in, yeah. in your own heart and DNA? Yeah. Um, so there's two reasons at a high level. One is that you know, from a financial standpoint, we really don't believe that we've come close to realizing the full value of, you know, what we could be as a company. And, you know, there is a really rational, you know, if we had to be, um, you know, kind of, if we had to make a decision based purely on our fiduciary responsibility to external shareholders to give them the highest return on capital, I really do believe that, you know, we have 100x plus upside from here just because of... Does everybody hear that? 100x, <laughs> that's incredible. Um, you know, and I think um, we're very fortunate to be in a space that we think is profoundly large and can actually sustain a business that could drive tens of billions in revenue down the road. And we, we think that we have a pretty clear idea of how one might get there. Um, certainly no guarantee and, and lots of execution challenges along the way, um, but it's sort of a rare opportunity that we even have you know, this clear sight line um, towards that direction. Um, so one is, is kind of the rational side. And then two, and more importantly, is kind of the philosophical side. And so when we set out to build Airtable, um, you know, I was very fortunate to, to have had um, a small exit of a different company before um, and, and really had the, the kind of patience and, um, and also the, the luxury of time to think about what was the kind of company that I wanted to work on um, and work at um, for not just the next few years, but the rest of my life. And you know, I think Airtable, because it embodies so many of those properties, um, and I think it's doing something that we truly believe uh, you know, is empowering the world and, and creating, you know, this alignment of our own business model and financial success with uh, ultimately the success of, you know, everyone in the world. Um, you know, I think there, there's a powerful reason to just continue executing on that in the best possible way. Um, that's so special. And how I digest that, Howie, is Airtable literally is a platform for creativity that can empower businesses where every single pottery shop to creative shop to um, planning shop to business literally on the planet could be using Airtable. That's the vision that you have. <coughs> you think that you get there by having an incredible team that's committed to that culture um, and making sure you guys are thoughtful and stay loyal to that culture. And because Airtable is growing so quickly, you're in this really unique position where you don't have you don't have to bend, um, right. and you don't have to think about something like an acquisition. It's a pretty unique position to be at age 30. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I want to shift gears there. You're 30. Um, I'm 35. Um, LearnVest got acquired at 30, so um, I know exactly what that's like. Uh, what are the things that you personally feel like you're starting to feel really good about that you're doing as a CEO, a really young, um, hungry CEO? And what are the things that you feel like you still have to get better at? Um, because none of us are perfect. Um, and I'll be the first to say I had so many things I had to learn and grow at, running a team of that grew from 200 people to 2,000 people myself. Um, what does that look like for you? Well, you know, I think every day that goes by um, and I learn a little bit more, it just feels like there's an infinitely more, you know, kind of greater expanse of, of uh, knowledge that I need to acquire and, and uh, skills that I need to um, bring to bear. And so, um, you know, in a sense, uh, I feel like I'm just getting started to, you know, know enough to know what I don't know, um, which is a lot and maybe infinite. Um, you know, I think 
it feels kind of like we're building, um, you know, we're trying to upgrade an airplane that's in, you know, in the middle of flying. And um, at every stage of the company, you know, we, um, as the operating team, um, have to learn the, the kind of new tools and skills required to upgrade the airplane to the next level, to get to the next kind of stratosphere, um, you know, while it's still moving. You don't ever get the chance to pause and say, you know, hey, everyone, um, we're all going to take six months to just stop doing all actual product <laughs> or business work. We'll just yeah, take a and minute learn, and just right? stop. Like, it never happens. <laughs> totally. And let's just all go read and have some discussions, do a book club, which would be great. Um, and in fact, we, we may do some form of that, uh, you know, have book clubs, etc. But, um, but I think, you know, probably the, the single biggest area that I want to focus my, my um, kind of uh, learning efforts towards is, I think, building a great um, organization of people. Um, and, and frankly, that's the, the side of things that I know the least about. You know, I think um, I certainly am not the best, uh, you know, uh, product um, designer or engineer or, you know, kind of business strategist. But, you know, I think we've been fortunate as a company to get to a point where we have a working V1 of those things. And so, you know, building a working even V1 of a great people organization, not just a large one, but one that can endure and actually empower, you know, not just the next 100 employees, but the next 10,000, um, you know, is something that we have no idea how to do and, and are trying to learn as quickly as possible. Um, <clears throat> if there's one thing that's keeping you up at night right now, what would it be? You know, I think I actually sleep and quite I know well. Never, um, never one. <laughs> no, I mean the, the, the truthful answer is I do sleep quite well. Um, you know, uh, and and I think um, you know part of it is because you know I think a lot of the the stress that that we experience in this world and and this industry is is sort of um, sometimes brought upon ourselves, right? You know, um, there's a a great um, executive coach named Katya Verison who who uh, has a few interviews on First Round Capital's uh, magazine blog, um, and she talks about this idea idea of, you know, operating under this scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. And so if you kind of imagine in the, uh, you know, kind of uh, prehistoric era when you, know, you were out there in the, the world and there was, you know, kind of all kinds of perils that awaited you, wolves and, you know, a lack of food and, and so on, um, you know, you make completely different decisions and you're kind of inducing yourself into this um, very artificial and, and kind of a short-sighted mentality when you, when you live your life and, and kind of execute under stress all the time. And so, you know, there's certainly a ton of priorities that I think are on my mind. I think probably um, the single biggest one being, you know, I feel this huge moral obligation to learn how to build a great people organization. Um, you know, before we kind of do a disservice to the people who are coming into the, the company and, and not getting the best possible and most empowering experience that they can. So I think, you know, knowing that we could be doing better and that, you know, people, um, you know, in our company are not getting the best possible experience that they could be, um, you know, if we were, um, I think is probably the biggest thing on my mind. But, um, but I think at the same time, we try to, you know, not unintentionally or, or um, unnecessarily, you know, keep everyone, including myself, um, in a state of stress. Um, okay, so uh, he sleeps easy at night. I never did. That's amazing. I'm like, you need to be my Zen coach. Um, talk to us. San Francisco might be a little bit easier. Yes, to, uh, yeah, to than New York easy. City. Um, talk to us a little bit about um, what are the things that are around you that are helping you stay sane. Um, what is that operating? I always said that every great CEO really needs an operating playbook of yeah. what works for them, and it's different. It's all based on who. Right you are. What is at this point your operating playbook that allows you, um, right when Howie walked in, I said, hey, Howie, how's it, how's it been going? And he was like, the last few months has been a whirlwind. <laughs> and I said, 
the next few months will be a whirlwind too. Uh, you quickly learn that things never slow down. There's never the six months to sit and be like, oh, I'm gonna artfully read and learn how to totally meditate and all the things that you really wanna do because you realize you're just moving. Um, what is that playbook that you've finally been able to at least set pause and say, this is what makes Howie the best Howie? Yeah, so I'd say there's three things. Um, one of which is very uh, strategic and the other two are very you know, tactical on a human level. And so the, the first thing is, I think, because there's always this unsaturable list of things that you need to do or could do, and that would be good uses of your time, um, not just for myself, but for anyone in our company, there's just such a broad surface area of what we could do and our potential that we're never for lack of ideas of, you know, hey, we ran out of, you know, things to do, and like, what do we do now? Um, so I think one of the, the big challenges is to kind of, you know, kind of make yourself go through the process and repeatedly, you know, kind of distill all of those different things that you could work on into the, the few things that matter, at least at this moment in time. So, um, you know, I always heard this advice from people and then, you know, kind of thought it was a little bit uh, silly or, or, uh, or at least like really, really hard to put into practice so much so that, you know, it's, it's basically not useful. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, as things get more complex and as you have more and more to worry about, that becomes even more important. So this idea of, you know, whether you write the, the three things that you care about on a note card or on a poster or just like jot it down um, somewhere, I think I cycle through my top three or four things, you know, um, every single day. And I try to go through mentally and, and make sure that, yeah, there's a lot of other things I need to get back to people on and, and kind of react to, but also am I driving forward these three or four initiatives? Um, I think uh, the other two are really, I think one, um, you know, making sure that I carve out physical space for myself. Um, and so, you know, I find that, um, you know, as an introvert, naturally, um, I need to kind of go and, and you know, find, um, you know, quiet and, uh, and kind of, uh, you know, somewhat meditative places um, to, to physically be in, um, you know, hopefully once a week um, to really reset. And so that might be, you know, driving up to Muir Woods or um, to uh, Pacifica Beach and just kind of doing a walk. But I find that really, really helpful. And, and, you know, even just 30 minutes or an hour of that um, really helps, you know, kind of reset. When did you realize, how yeah. old were you when you realized that being actually alone in nature, getting a walk maybe with somebody else, all of a sudden is giving you that reset? I think um, it probably was in high school. Um, so I distinctly remember there was um, a high school paper or a project um, for English, I think, that um, entailed uh, you know, every student going out. I think maybe the, the topic uh, was on um, you know, some of these uh, you know, kind of great American writers who enjoyed the wilderness um, you know, and so on. And, and so we were supposed to go out in the, the wilderness and kind of you know, play our own Thoreau uh, you know, kind of uh, experience out and, um, and then write about it. And I think um, that just kind of stuck with me, and um, you know, certainly after um, my first company was acquired, I think I spent a lot of time going on like you know these walks and, and bike rides, and really helped to you know uh, I think formulate the uh, the basis of, of Airtable as a company. Um, so I want to end on just a few quick questions. Um, what has been the peak moment of Airtable to date? So the moment where you're like, this just really you walked out and you're like, wow, what was it? So. <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, you know, it's been truly um, 
you know, a gratifying experience every single day of the way. Um, and I, I don't say that, you know, in this hyperbolic and overly, you know, kind of, uh, you know, superficially positive um, light, but really, you know, in contrast to the prior company experience I had where there was constantly this kind of fear of, uh, you know, kind of uh, survival or, or lack thereof. Um, and like every day we were leaving and just kind of hungry and tired and worried. And uh, there were some really tough moments. And for that company, probably like the day that we decided to get acquired um, was, was the, the kind of moment of excitement. I think for, for Airtable, I mean, certainly we've had like exciting moments where, you know, we've brought on more people into the company. It's kind of taken on a life of its own. I think we've done like, you know, team offsites that have been really, really fulfilling for me just to kind of look around and see the people we have around us, um, product launches, et cetera. But, you know, it, it's truly the case that no one moment sticks out. Um, you know, and certainly not any funding moment um, sticks out in my mind as like this particularly special, you know, kind of uh, peak of our, our happiness um, because we really did, um, you know, kind of end up with this company experience that, you know, I think we all, and, and certainly I do, um, you know, feel so grateful to be at and to experience every day. And, um, and so, um, honestly, I think the, you know, it feels more like the past seven years of my life have been kind of this pretty high. Um, you know, continuum of of, uh, of gratefulness of one day at a time yeah. growth. Um, so, okay, we'll we'll end here. Essentially, when I step back, having really gotten to know Howie, um, he is one of the zenest, calmest, and I know we're all smiling and laughing because it's so true. Thirty-year-old poised billionaire future entrepreneurs um, who genuinely cares more about his team, the culture he's developing unlocking creativity around the world. And for me, it just really struck me that Howie is a very, very unique and special person. So Howie, you're sitting in front of some really incredible entrepreneurs with big ambitions and super smart in their own right. If you had one or two things that you would want them to know about what's going on at Airtable, how they can help, how they can join yeah. the Airtable revolution, but I, which I genuinely believe you are on, um, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, um, you know, we are uh, always going to be hiring. Um, and for, you know, really just, I think, the, the type of person who defies traditional role boundaries. And so we're always looking for people who are, are very thoughtful and, uh, and kind of, you know, polymathic in, in nature. And so, um, you know, anyone who, who is interested in, in uh, potentially joining our team, um, you know, can always email me at howie.airtable.com. Um, and I think separately, you know, I think, um, you know, it's also important that, you know, we give back. Um, and so I think the, the other thing I would say is that um, if ever there, there come, uh, you know, kind of opportunities for us as a company or as, um, as an, you know, for me as an individual to um, partner with, I think, organizations, especially ones creating social impact. I think we're always open to, to hearing um, and, and hopefully finding ways to, to partner um, with those groups. So, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, the, the short answer is um, feel free to reach out uh, if, if I can ever be of help. Um, so we'll end on this. I think hopefully you guys get a sense of what um, I admire so much about Howie. Thank you guys so much. Best of luck on everything. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at any event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.